Welcome and thanks for tuning in to Real People, Real Talk. Relevant conversations that take you from surviving to thriving. This is the podcast that goes there. My name is Paul Calco and I'm your host. Now let's talk. Hello, Thriver, and welcome to Real People, Real Talk, the podcast ministry that equips you to thrive in your walk with the Lord, to thrive in your relationships, and to thrive in your mental health. I'm continuing our series today in the book of Philippians, and today we're covering the final four verses of chapter one. I'm calling today's episode a life worthy of the gospel. Let's get into it. Picking up. Philippians chapter one at verse 27 through 30. Just want to read those verses for you. And then we're going to break it down along the way. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In this text, Paul admonished us to live a Christ centered life. It includes three specific characteristics. Number one, a commitment to unity. Number two, courage in the face of opposition. And number three, contentment in the midst of suffering. Allow me to remind you that Paul pins these words from prison. He's ministering even in the midst of his own suffering. Now let's revisit verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The word only indicates and emphasizes that this should be our number one goal and priority in our lives as Christians, which is to live a Christ centered life that's worthy of the gospel. Look at the words, let your This is an imperative. In other words, it's not a wish. It's not a good idea. But Paul is making this commandment because living a life that's worthy of the gospel is the responsibility of every single believer. Now, looking at that phrase worthy of the gospel, what does that mean? Our conduct must be consistent with the gospel message because our manner of living is the evidence of our salvation and also the fruit of of our salvation witness you and your conduct may be the only church that some people see you and your conduct may be the only Bible that some people read. In other words, we should live and act accordingly in every step that we take in every word that we utter in every decision that we make in every action and reaction that we undertake here on earth. We are to conduct ourselves in a manner That's worthy of the gospel, a manner that brings God glory and honor. The greatest weapon against the devil is a godly life. 
As a believer, you must have a distinct life. You have been created, my brother, and you have been created, my sister, to stand out and not to fit in. God has called you. He has called us to be the light and salt of the world. So carry yourself in such a way that people will notice that there is something different about you. And on that day when it comes, when they ask you, you know what? What makes the difference in your life? I notice there's something is different about you. What is it? And that is your opportunity to tell them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let your lifestyle line up with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let your conduct and your conversation be consistent with the character of Christ. Let your walk match your talk. The question at hand is this. Can people look at you and see Jesus? They should. Moving on in that verse, we see the next phrase, whether I come and see you or am absent. We should live a life that is worthy of the gospel at all times, both in public and in private. I'm about to get in your business. Here we go. We should live a life that's worthy of the gospel even when we get cut off in traffic and I live in Houston and it's the traffic out here. It's terrible. All right. We should live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Even when we experience bad service at a restaurant, instead of retaliating at the waiter or the waitress, what if it was to be a light in that situation and show grace? We should live a life that's worthy of the gospel. When we're negotiating a contract or taking a test Or when we're angry at our kids or angry at our spouse. We should live a life that's worthy of the gospel. When we're involved in competition. When we're managing our finances or doing our taxes. Even when you're celebrating your birthday. We should live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Every single day. Not just living holy on Sunday. But living holy every single day of our lives. No matter where you are. No matter what day it is, no matter what the occasion is, you should represent Jesus and represent him well. Speaking of representing, I remember I watched a show called Madam Secretary and the Madam Secretary. She was the ambassador. In other words, she would carry out the will of the one that sent her. And in this case, it was the president. And she was to serve the highest standard of ethical conduct to represent the USA and the USA's interests. Well, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. We are citizens of heaven and we must carry out the will of the one that sent us. And his name is Jesus. We must serve and live our lives in such a way of the highest standard of ethical living, a manner of life that's worthy of the gospel. So not only as Paul exhort us to represent Christ well, but to do so with a commitment to unity. Point number one, a commitment to unity. You've heard the phrase united we stand and divided we fall. Friends, division can hurt and hinder the spread of the gospel in the kingdom of God if we're not careful. And division in the fellowship, division in the church can mean defeat for the entire team. 
We can only advance the gospel to the very fullest as we stand firm and strive together. Look at that phrase, stand firm. That's when you look at the context and you study what's going on here. That's a military term talking about in battle. In other words, give no ground, give no compromise. First Corinthians 15 and verse 58 says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And that may be a right now word for you that's listening right now. What you're doing for the Lord is not in vain. No matter what your present set of circumstances may indicate, what you're doing for the Lord is not in vain. And only what we do for the Lord matters in the end. Moving on and looking at that phrase, striving together. That's a sports term. Talking about athletes. In other words, we're in this together. And we have been given as believers, as Christians, as everyone that named the name of Jesus Christ, we have a common mission known as the Great Commission. And it's the high honor of sharing Christ with the world in a unified way. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but to do so together. And that sounds a lot like Acts chapter two, verses 44 through 46 here, the word of the Lord. And all who believe were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. What does this text say? What does this emphasize? What Philippians is already saying is this unity matters. And as we walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, we must not only have a commitment to unity, but we must also have, and this is point number two, courage in the face of opposition. We must exhibit courage in the face of opposition. Looking at verse 28 again, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Courage is defined as the strength of purpose that enables one to withstand fear or difficulty. A life that's worthy of the gospel is marked by courage. And hear me out. Courage isn't necessarily the absence of fear, but rather courage is obeying God's word and following him wherever following him takes you in spite of fear, in spite of difficulty and in spite of opposition. Let me give you more scripture. Let's go to Old Testament first. Joshua 1 9 says, have not I commanded you be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened and don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now let's go to the New Testament. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Be strong. Be courageous as you live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Paul exhibited great courage in the face of opposition. As he was thrown in jail for doing the work of the Lord in Philippi. 
And in spite of that suffering, and in spite of that opposition, look at what Paul courageously accomplished with the gospel. Several missionary journeys, wrote 13 books of the Bible, started several churches, and made Jesus famous in the land. And he did so with courage. Look at what Paul did with just his mouth, with his feet, with pen, and with paper. And I brought it up to say this, that at the time of this recording, in 2023, we have so much at our hands, so much access, and so many other ways where we can share the gospel. Let me list out the things that we have that Paul didn't have. We have cars, airlines, phones, laptops, social media, text, email, the World Wide Web, greater access and speed, geographically speaking. What are we doing with this? Could you imagine the Apostle Paul? Like, look at all that he accomplished way back then with just walking and with just pen and paper. Look at all that we have now. I said all of that to say this. Let's leverage all that we have for the sake of the gospel. As we commit to unity, as we exhibit courage in the face of opposition. And lastly, point number three, as we remain content in the midst of suffering. Verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. In these two verses, we see two gifts that have been granted. Let's unpack these. Number one, we see salvation. Oh, here we go. We've been given a gift that nobody can take away. That's salvation. That's the gospel. In the gospel, we experience what I like to call what I have coined as transcendent trades. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus takes away our sin and he gives us salvation in return. That's a transcendent trade. He takes our punishment. He takes our pain and gives us peace with God, the father. He takes our failures. He takes our faults and gives us forgiveness. Transcendent trades. He takes your judgment and he gives you justification. Jesus took my guilt and gave me grace. Jesus became what his father hated, which is sin. So we can become what his father loved, which is righteousness. The gift that has been given is a gift of salvation. That when we repent of our sins, we turn away from our sins and we repent and we turn to Jesus in faith. We can have salvation. Just thinking about the gospel. Just thinking about the Lord. Thinking about salvation. Man, we should live with an attitude of gratitude, expressing our worship, expressing our praise, expressing our thanksgiving to God for his many gifts, but especially for the gift of the gospel, the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse 15 says this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In other words, priceless, indescribable, and it's talking about Jesus. Now, that's the the good news, if you will. But not only has God given us the gift of salvation, but he has given us the gift of suffering, as we saw in the text. The call to follow the Lord includes suffering. 
And it's in the suffering that helps us to identify more with the Lord. Let me give you scripture. James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 2 Timothy 2, 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Friends, suffering may seem like a strange gift. Maybe it's when you're trying to return, but it's not. Suffering for the sake of Christ has a great purpose and a great reward. God allows it for your good and also for his glory. And that is the thing that makes a difference. Suffer for his sake because he has already suffered for your sake. He died a horrible, painful death on the cross for you and I. He suffered for us. The least we can do is suffer for him. Through Christ's suffering, we have been made right with God. We have been justified. We have been given and extended mercy and grace. And he calls us to take a stand for the gospel in love, in truth, regardless of the suffering that we may face. And that suffering varies on where we live or what's going on in our lives, knowing that some will support us and some will oppose us. Now, I know that this isn't a popular part of the message, but I want to give you a dose of reality. As Christians, there will be times where we face suffering. There will be times when things don't go our way. But our job is to keep following the Lord, keep trusting the Lord and keep serving the Lord. Amen. Another scripture I have for you is first Peter chapter four, verses 12 and 14. And behold, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, when we face trials and tribulations, don't be surprised. Verse 13 continues, but rejoice. And so far as you share in Christ's suffering, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. That's deep. It takes spiritual maturity to really understand this and get this. And I'm just going to list out a few ways, a few scenarios of what suffering can look like. Now, we may face lawsuits, may lose our job, may miss out on a promotion, could be belittled by your professor for your walk with the Lord, could be talked about, ostracized and excluded from certain events. We may have to sacrifice relationships, reputation and comfort. Suffering can take on different forms. But our response should be the same, a response of faith and a response of courage. My last scripture, Romans 8, chapter 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. God has a purpose for your persecution, a reason for your struggles and a reward for your faithfulness in the midst of suffering. So please don't give up. Today, my friend, God is calling you to live a Christ-centered life, a manner of living that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be committed to unity, to be courageous in the face of opposition, and to be content in the midst of suffering. 
And overall, God is calling you to live a life that's worthy of the gospel and to bring him glory and to bring him honor. Amen and amen. That's going to do it today. Be sure to tune in next week as we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter two. As always, if you like what you hear, take a few seconds and share this episode. But until next time, go be all that God has called you to be.